Welcome to Jim Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. Throughout his career, Jim Lang has made it a priority to provide his clients, readers, and friends with useful, cutting-edge information, as well as peer-reviewed financial and tax planning strategies, so that they can make the most educated decisions and really get the most out of what they've got. We hope you enjoy the following special read broadcast from the Lang Vault. Please stay with us until the end so you don't miss more information on how we can help you protect your wealth and ensure your family's financial security for the next generation. And now, Jim Lang. Why don't we take one more and we will move on. Actually, we don't have any more questions from the live room at this moment, so I'd love to take this opportunity to plug. If you have a question, Please add it to the chat, everyone. Um, but Jim, I know that you have a lot more to present, so should we just let you roll forward with your presentation for now? Yeah, that's fine. This, this, is, this is the first time that I think I've ever done webinars when we didn't have uh, all kinds of questions for whatever reason. Anyway, maybe we didn't uh, mention it enough. But anyway, let's go back to gifting. So I already talked about how gifting can potentially save estate taxes, um, mainly on the growth of the gift between now and um, when you die. But also, if you're particularly if you're gifting after-tax dollars or if you're gifting income-producing properties, um, what happens is that you are reducing your income taxes. And if you're in a position that you can afford to make significant gifts, there's a very good chance that your income tax rate is going to be substantially higher than the income tax rate of your beneficiaries most likely your children or grandchildren. So you're also saving um, income taxes. Uh, the other thing about gifting is that you're often getting money to your children and your grandchildren when they need it the most. And that's really important. If you think about your own situation, let's, for, for many of my clients right now, if somebody handed them a check and said, happy birthday, here's a million dollars. I'm not sure it would radically change their lifetime. I don't think that they're going to go out and buy a Cadillac. Probably most of them aren't even going to go out, buy a second home or do some of the other things that they could potentially do with money. Maybe they would, but would it be a fantastically meaningful event in the lives, particularly of people in their 60s or older? Maybe not. But think back 20 years, not, not a million, but even a hundred, what a hundred thousand. And by the way, 20 years with inflation, that's probably the equivalent of maybe a $500,000 gift. But just even think what a hundred thousand dollars would have meant back then um, in terms of helping out, uh, let's say families starting out with down payments for homes, helping with the education of grandchildren, um, having a more comfortable lifestyle. Uh, and it's really important. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I have two clients, both with way more money than they're ever going to spend. They each have a kid um, who is, you know, right now actually in their fifties, uh, and one, and they're and both their their children are in the nonprofit world. They both have very meaningful jobs, but they are working in a not-for-profit and their salary is not uh, very significant at all. 
one parent is making minimal or no gifts to their child. That child has lived near the poverty level for most of their adult life. And uh, when this client and his wife die, the child will come into millions and millions of dollars, probably when she is in her 60s. And she will have had all those years in relative poverty that really doesn't make much sense for the family. The other family has been very generous uh, with their son, and their son was able to afford things that he could not have afforded on his own. He was able to get married. He was able to have children. He was able to have a nice house. He was able to uh, do some of the appropriate things that people like to do, like putting money in retirement plans, etc. Now, yes, he will inherit less money when his parents die because of, because of these gifts, but he got the money when they needed it. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, I don't want to spoil my kids, and that's a very legitimate concern. There's different ways of gifting, and we're going to talk about some of those. And again, I don't want to poo-poo that. On the other hand, sometimes people overrate the harm that they can do by gifting money, particularly to kids who are in their maybe 30s and 40s when their values have already been relatively established. I'm not saying you should give a massive amount to an 18-year-old so he can drop out of school and get high and you know buy electric guitars and stuff like that. But if we're talking about a 35 or a 40-year-old who has a job, maybe has children, has responsibilities, has demonstrated that they are responsible for money, with money, then gifts make more sense. The other thing is sometimes people can't think of a better thing to do with their money. So I actually had a, uh, a client and he had, he had a lot of money and we were talking about what to do. So to, to oversimplify the facts, he was able to afford to spend an additional $300,000 over and above what he was spending now. Is he going to change his whole way of being and start spending an extra $300,000? Absolutely not. I'll be lucky if he spends an extra $50,000. Um, and he said, well, he wasn't, he was interested in charity, but he, that wasn't one of the driving force. So maybe he gives a little bit more money to charity while he's alive and after he's gone, but nowhere near to uh, impact the money. So my natural thinking is, well, okay, let's start a gifting program, keep the money in the family, let's save a million, two million dollars in taxes and really get this thing right. And he said, well, gee, I don't want to spoil my kids um, and I don't want them to get too much money after I die. I'm thinking, well, what are you going to do with your money? <laughs> you know, if you're not going to spend it and you're not going to give it to charity and you don't want to give too much money to your kids, you're just kind of asking the IRS to take it. So sometimes gifting is the most uh, tax beneficial thing that you can do, as well as something that is valuable for you and your family. Then there's leveraged gifts, you know, like uh, Roth IRAs, things where your kids get a lot of benefit from the gift. And I already talked about buying experiences. But let's talk about some of the basic types of gifting that you might consider. One is what I'll call the unrestricted gift. Here's some money, go do whatever you want. Unrestricted, etc. The second might be a gift for a specific purpose. Now you have to be careful because it can't have any legal strings, but you can make a suggestion. Here's some money, I suggest that you use this money to put 
uh, into your Roth IRA or to finance a Roth IRA conversion or to use as a down payment for your house or to pay for uh, college or private tuition for your grandchildren. Um, so you can have a gift with, a again, a recommendation. You can have the gift of education, uh, whether it's a 529 plan, uh, sometimes even better is paying tuition directly, which doesn't count against your $16,000 per year, uh, which is the amount that you can give without eating into your exclusion. Um, you can also pay for your uh, children's or beneficiaries' uh, health costs and health insurance, et cetera. That's not listed here. I just thought of that. Um, life insurance, typically on your life, it could be on your beneficiary's life, is also a, uh, assuming it's done right, income tax-free, estate tax-free, really cool. But by the way, it's a variation of a gift. If you have a second-to-die policy, um, the comparison of a second-to-die policy versus no second-to-die policy, the apples-to-apples comparison is not second-to-die policy or doing nothing. The legitimate apples-to-apples -apples are, I'm going to use this money, the, this gift, to buy a second-to-die life insurance policy, or I'm just going to give this money to the kids and say, happy birthday, here you go. That's the legitimate apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Um, and then there's more, there's specialty gifts, which we're not going to get into. But anyway, there are a variety of types of gifts. Um, I typically would recommend some combination. Here's some money for a 529 plan. Here's some money to go do whatever you want. Uh, here we are going to do a second to die life insurance policy. Um, we are going to have some money for, uh, let's say family vacation, or even for, let's say a purpose that you have in mind, whether it's a Roth IRA or Roth IRA conversion. Um, I don't, obviously, you know, there isn't one solution that fits everybody, but in general, I like, I, I don't, I can't remember ever recommending only one type of gift. If somebody was in a gifting situation, education is obviously uh, something that is typically an important value for most of my clients. So gifting money, um, paying tuition directly, paying for healthcare expenses directly, doing a 529 plan. Um, again, these are all variations of a gift for which uh, is most often consistent with uh, values. Life insurance, again, this is a variation of a gift. So, and I'll tell you why it has become more important since the SECURE Act. In the old days, the life insurance guys used to say, they, they used to have something that they called a um, pension rescue. So what they would do is they would say, okay, take maybe one or 2% of your IRA. Let's just say it was a million dollars. So they'd say, take 10 or $20,000 a year, pay the taxes on it and use the net proceeds to buy a second to die life insurance policy. And what a second to die means is the insurance company doesn't pay until both husband and wife are gone or to use the euphemism that the insurance companies use when the policy matures, then the kid gets a million or $2 million or whatever the amount of the policy uh, would buy. And they would compare that to <clears throat> doing 
and they, they compare that to doing nothing. That is not taking money out of the IRA. And then what the assumption was, was that the beneficiary was going to cash in the entire inherited IRA the year after mom and dad died. And if you compare that to the life insurance, the life insurance was just way, way better. So they would show these, uh, you know, these illustrations where the beneficiary was better off by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the, the amount, maybe even over a million dollars. But I never thought that that was a fair apples to apples comparison. And the reason was is because with the old stretch IRA, the beneficiaries, at least if they were working with me, would stretch or defer the distributions on that inherited IRA over their lifetime. And the value of um, inheriting an IRA was much greater than what they were assuming, which was they were the beneficiary was going to cash it in, pay this massive taxes. But under the SECURE Act, where the beneficiary is required to take the money out within 10 years, it not, it's not quite as bad as what the, uh, the old assumptions were, but a legitimate, uh, let's say, apples-to-apples apples comparison does assume, assuming the beneficiary doesn't meet any exceptions, does assume that the beneficiary is going to have to pay income tax on that entire inherited IRA within 10 years of their death. And the, the strategy of taking some money out, paying taxes on it now, using that money uh, to gift, to um, pay for a uh, second to die life insurance. And by the way, there's lots of other different types of life insurance. I happen to be a cheapskate. I like low, low premiums and high death benefits. But anyway, um, using some legitimate, to me, not unreasonable assumptions you can have under today's law, you the beneficiary could be as much as $2 million better off. So that is uh, pretty significant, I would say. Um, again, you know, different assumptions will yield different results. This isn't for everybody, but life insurance is a much better tool than most people think after the SECURE Act for people who have big IRAs. Then, of course, what we really do in the real world is we typically combine a whole bunch of strategies. You know, I can't think of anybody where I've said, okay, the only thing we're going to add to what you're doing is we're going to add one strategy. Typically, we end up with multiple strategies, um, sometimes going from the taxable world to the tax-free world, which is something that I am very big on right now for the right clients. Um, and to get into the tax-free world, one, second-to-die life insurance is one way. Roth IRA conversions are one way. And sometimes if you combine these techniques, you know, the beneficiary over their lifetime can be millions of dollars better off. So, and, and by the way, the right, the right way to do it is we call it run the numbers or do projections of different strategies and then you make the educated decision on which strategy you want to make. So, um, Eric, can we run a quick tape that Jack Bogle said? And I'll, I'll, set, the, I'll set the scene for this. So, um, I, when I had my radio show, I tried to get the top guys that I could. And I had 
most of the IRA experts, you know, I had um, Ed Slot and Bob Keebler and Natalie Schott and uh, Gary Jones. And, and I tried to get the, the top guys. And I got most of the IRA guys and Jane Brian Quinn. And then I got a bunch of the index guys um, like Charles Ellis and Roger Ibbotson. But probably the most famous person that I interviewed uh, was Jack Bogle. And uh, to make a long story short, um, I ended up, even though it was a radio show, Jack Bogle lived in Malvern, PA, which is near Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, near Philadelphia. I lived in Pittsburgh. And I thought, you know, he's getting older. Uh, he's probably going to die. It would be really cool to get him on tape. So I interviewed him. We, I did two shows with Jack Bogle. By the way, he said I was the best prepared interviewer he ever had, which I thought was really sad because he's testified in front of Congress and everything else. Anyway, I just read a couple of his books, put together what I thought were intelligent questions, sent it to him ahead of time because I wasn't a zinger. But anyway, towards the end of the talk uh, of, of the interview, and I did this with everybody, I just said, hey, it's kind of a general question. You'll see he's more articulate than I am. I said, hey, do you have any, um, is there any words of wisdom that we haven't covered that's important for our listeners. So Eric, do you have that uh, um, that little snippet of video? And if you can turn the volume up so everybody can hear it, I would appreciate it. Is there any, let's say, words of wisdom, although you just said so for the index funds, but anything that if we want to, for our listeners or readers or or audience to take away, can you give them, let's say, the short version of Bogle investing, or is the 10 simple rules the best, the best way to do it? We'll use those rules, but they come down to some very simple things. Keep costs down. As, allocate your assets uh, in, with respect to the amount of risk you're willing to assume with some focus on your age. Uh, not, not overbearingly, but some. Uh, you know, if you have an advisor, get a little help for some of the complexities of this system. You know, a financial advisor is a very valuable piece of work uh, for the things that we don't much think about, helping you with that asset allocation idea, telling you the difference between a Roth IRA and a regular IRA, telling you in your financial position whether you might own municipal bonds as compared to corporate bonds. Uh, you know, the system is loaded with nuances. Estate planning is it, it, it's a whole other complexity. So with this complex world, I think most people need some kind of help. So can you imagine how happy I was to hear Jack Bogle, who is known throughout the industry as cost reduction, cost reduction, cost reduction, say, hey, most people need some kind of help. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. If you've discovered the answers to your questions and would like to schedule an appointment with Jim, please call our offices at 1-800-387-1129. That number again is 1-800-387-1129. Or if you would like to attend one of Jim's upcoming webinars, go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That address again is paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That's 2020 webinars.